hello everybody. It's October. That's horror month around these parts. And that must mean I'm bringing back parallel words. Because uh, I am. For those of you that don't know, this is a podcast that I've done in the past, and we're going to be looking into a way that we can get those past episodes uploaded so that people can enjoy the rich back catalog of parallel words, of which there are actually a pretty decent number of episodes. But the truth is, this has been a passion project of mine for a long time, and unfortunately, because of the nature of it, it's one that's just really, really difficult to find time to do. In fact, normally, on what we would consider a typical episode of this podcast, I'd be joined by my friend Aaron Green, we'd be bantering back and forth, uh, he'd have a comment here, perhaps, I would have a witty retort back at him, uh, but we don't have that, because again, even with all the planning, it's still hard to get everybody to come together and do what they need to do for this, it's just a tough project. But we're going to try. We're going to make a go for it. At this stage, I will say our goal is to do an episode a month. But I'll secretly tell you I have eyes for more than that. Um, the timing now is actually very good. And it's actually a time where it's a little bit easier for me to get back into doing this show. And of course, my favorite time of the year to do this show is the month of October. Because it is horror month. And that is when... I get to write scary stories, which is my favorite thing in the world to write and share with all of you. So I contacted Aaron uh, about a week or so ago, and I said, hey man, I want to get Parallel Words back. You think we can do it? Uh, obviously it was already too late in the month to say, yeah man, let's do it for an entire month, but my hope was that we could have something by Halloween. And if you're listening to this on Halloween, then hot damn, we did it. If it's November, well, then it's late. But that was the goal. And anyway, we, uh, we decided to bring it back for a single episode, a single horror month episode to uh, remind people just how much fun this show could be. So for those of you who don't know what this show is, let me explain the premise real quick, and then we'll get into the stories, and we'll give you a better idea of what to expect going forward. So the idea behind Parallel Words is this. Basically, Aaron and I love to write. We don't always have the time or the oomph that you might need to be motivated into doing it. We came up with the idea for this show as a way to go ahead and try it. Uh, and try and give us that motivation and give us that direction. And it worked, by and large. Some of the most writing I've ever done in my life was uh, for this show. And I'm really proud of a lot of the work we did. So each month, I guess, he and I are given a prompt. We start from the same place, and we start writing two separate short stories. Sometimes we'll limit ourselves with word count, Sometimes theme, sometimes tone. There's a lot of different modifiers we can put on the story to really force us to do something different than rest on our laurels. For this month, with it being one where we couldn't ask others for input, he and I couldn't meet directly to figure out what it was going to be, he and I just picked from a list of prompts what we wanted to write. So for this horror month, we decided to tell a story where the premise was places not to go and write a horror story 
based on that premise. No limit to length, although ideally it's a short story, and no other limitations on us. Just tell whatever scary story we want to tell within that confine. And I'm excited to say that we have two stories for you. I actually, at the time of recording this part right here, haven't heard Aaron's and only just finished mine, so it's all very fresh across the board, and I'm very excited to hear and then give reactions. Uh, once we're done, because without Aaron here, it's going to be hard for us to really critique and give our thoughts, I think what we're going to do is this, this time we're going to just present the stories to you, let them run around in your head and do what they're going to do, and the next time Aaron and I meet to figure out what the heck we're going to be writing, we'll go ahead and critique the stories and let you know what we thought, because he hasn't seen my story either, he hasn't heard it, so this will be the first time for him, too. Anyway, that's going to be enough of a preamble from me. Let's go ahead and dive right in to our first story, written by me. It's called The Basement. The Basement by John Jagger Timothy knew that there were certain places you did not go. In that way, he was like most children his age, who just seemed to inherently know that some places should be avoided. Under the bed or the closet during bedtime were off limits. The woods, any woods, should be treated with at least some level of caution, if not avoided altogether. They always seemed to instinctively know which houses on their streets were haunted. And of course, under no circumstances, should you go into the basement. These were all things Timothy understood, as any of his friends would. But like other children, this knowledge came with the near insurmountable curiosity of youth. As a child of almost ten years old, it was his job to learn life's lessons and use that knowledge to turn him into what he was going to become. There is, however, a stark difference between learning that the stove should not be touched and one should not go into the basement. It was 11.20 p.m. when his sister finally fell asleep. He didn't know why three and a half more years in this world made her responsible enough to babysit when their mom and dad were out, but considering she had spent the entire night ignoring him and texting her friends, maybe that responsibility wasn't quite as manifested as their parents had thought. There was no doubt that she was asleep, he had touched her phone and was still alive, if that didn't wake her up at this point, nothing would. He moved around the couch where she lay sprawled out and opened the junk drawer in the kitchen. He quickly grabbed up a flashlight, extra batteries, and because he had been told not to play with steak knives, he grabbed a butter knife from the fancy dinnerware kept in the drawer next to it. He briefly considered a book of matches as well, but decided that fire was best left to the adults. He felt properly prepared. He'd seen movies, after all. The basement lights never stayed on, if they even came on at all. Flashlights never lasted more than a few minutes in scary situations. And something always grabbed you running back up the stairs. To Timothy, it wasn't a question of if there was something terrifying in the basement. But what, and how to deal with it. It didn't help matters that their basement was the very stereotype of a horror basement. It was a long wooden staircase leading into the dark, with a small right turn at the bottom 
for the last few steps. He was lit by a single bulb hanging from the ceiling, although thankfully it was powered by a light switch, and not the more classic pole chain, which he likely wouldn't have been able to reach. Once at the bottom, there was another light switch, and the basement itself was fairly standard. A washing machine and dryer along the wall, a small workbench where his father painted small toys that he was not allowed to touch, a desk, a chair, and a lot of boxes made for a pretty unextraordinary sight. That was when he had seen it during the day with his family. But everyone knows that the dark changes things. In the dark, things stop being what we want them to be, and become what we fear they might actually be, especially when you find yourself in these places on your own. Standing at the doorway and looking into the maw of darkness, he took a deep breath and flipped the switch. The light flickered on with a little pop, bathing the stairs in a warm glow. The light didn't flicker. It didn't threaten to go out as it had in films. It just burned a soft glow that left a blur in his vision when he looked away from it. Timothy took his first step down. The wood creaked, but not in an eerie, threatening way. It creaked simply in the way that wood does when you put weight on it. It startled him regardless, but he gathered his resolve and pressed forward. Step by step shattered the illusion and mystique that had built up in his mind as each step proved uneventful. It was no different than any other trip during the day. By the time he'd reached the bottom of the stairs, the dread that had been living in his stomach had been replaced by disappointment. Why had this place been so terrifying? Why had he visited it so often in his nightmares and found ghouls, vampires, and ghosts residing down here? Why had he forced himself to stay awake long past his sister just to get a glimpse of what might be down here? He flipped the second light switch, and the dark gave way to a workbench, a desk, a chair, a washing machine, a dryer, and a lot of boxes. The same as it ever was. It had a stillness that wasn't always there. Typically, clothes would be running in the machines along the wall, his father would be working, or his mother might be walking around looking for something hidden in one of the poorly labeled boxes. He moved into the room. Cautiously at first, but that quickly gave way to a standard stride around the room. It was almost mechanical in the way he examined everything. No ghouls, no ghosts, no werewolves. Just quiet, dimly lit basement on a cold night where he should have been in bed. There is a strange inherited knowledge that children have. They seem to just know the places that one should not go. Under the bed or the closet during bedtime, they knew to respect the dangers of the woods. They could all tell you what house or houses on their blocks were haunted, and every single one of them knew you should never go into the basement. But at some point, that knowledge goes away. We grow up, and under the bed and in the closet just become a place where you keep things. The woods should always be respected, but the reasons for it change. You meet your neighbors who live quite happily in the houses you always feared. And the basement becomes just a basement. This was the thought in Timothy's mind as he turned off the downstairs light and ascended the stairs back to the living room. It was the relief 
and yet disappointment he had felt when he reached the top and turned off the little light that hung above the stairwell. And when something from the darkness grabbed him in that moment, it was the one thing he wished was true. The flashlight hammered down the stairs, turning on as it impacted, and casting dizzying light around the room, but offering no details to claws that dug at him. He was pulled down the stairs hard. He heard the whomp whomp of his heels hitting each new step as he flailed, trying to grab onto something. He screamed, but whatever had him ate the sound, and it came out muted, the way your voice is in a closet or something like that. He felt pain and a wrenching as he was pulled around the bend at the bottom of the stairs, and in his heart he knew that if he went any further, he wouldn't be coming back. So he fumbled in the elastic band of his pajama pants and produced the dull silver butter knife he had taken. It seemed so small compared to the thing that moved him with such ease now. It seemed so dull compared to the sharp talons that dug into his shoulder. It would have to do. With all the bravery an almost ten-year-old could muster, he slammed the knife into the hand of the creature. There was no piercing of flesh. Either he was too weak or the creature was too strong for that. What there was, however, was a sizzle and the smell of burning as the silver did its work. Timothy hadn't considered this. He knew a silver bullet worked on werewolves, everyone knew that, but he hadn't taken the knife for that purpose. He'd taken it because it was as close to a knife as he was allowed to play with. The creature recoiled and its grip loosened. It didn't make a sound except for the boiling pop of its skin where the knife had touched. Timothy swung at it again, another flash, another rancid smell in the air, and even more popping as the creature relented. Looking down, he saw the flashlight at his feet on the last step. He grabbed it and used it to guide his way up the stairs as fast as he could. He could hear the low thuds of something behind him, and instinctively he threw the extra batteries at whatever it was as he ran. At the top of the stairs, he threw open the door, his cries for help now audible as he stepped into the living room. He called for his mom and his dad and even his sister as he slammed the door behind him and backed away from it. What are you doing awake? His sister demanded. What? He asked, still breathing hard, eyes still fastened on the door. She looked at him, and then she saw the knife. And why do you have a knife? Give it here and go to bed. She demanded again. She did it using a voice that drove him crazy. It was clearly meant to be an imitation of their mother, but due to her age and size, it came across wrong and extra grating. It was perhaps the only thing he hated more than the idea that a monster had very nearly just eaten him. There's something in the basement, he said. It nearly got me. As if to prove his point, he grabbed at his pajamas to show where the creature had left marks of some kind. There were none. After some negotiating, they decided to check out the basement. But it was as even he could have predicted. The light revealed what they wanted to see as it always did. A set of stairs, a washer, a dryer, a workbench, a desk, a chair, a bunch of boxes, and some batteries now scattered around the floor. Scolded, and likely soon to be grounded, Timothy went back upstairs to his room. He made sure the closet was closed, and the nightlight was lit, and he climbed into bed.
As he closed his eyes, and sleep took him, he wondered what his parents would say or think. He wondered if his sister would even tell them. After all, they might blame her for not doing a good job of watching him. Would this all reveal itself to just be some terrible dream in the morning, like the ones that he had had before? It's a child's job to seek answers to questions, to learn and understand the world better. As Timothy went to bed, his head raced with questions, but through it, he held on to one fact. You should never go into the basement. All right, and there you go. The first story for this new edition of Parallel Words. Again, that was my offering with the subject of places you should not go. Now we're going to go to Aaron's story. And before we dive in, I do think it's important to say Aaron did send me this message that he was having uh, quite a few audio issues in getting his recording going. I've listened to it. I've tried to fix what I can. There's definitely some issues that require an audio expert that I am not to fix. Um, but I still think it's listenable and enjoyable, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and include it as it is so that you can enjoy it as well. Uh, like I said, with us bringing this show back together kind of last minute and kind of throwing it together trying to get it done before Halloween, there wasn't a lot of time for re-recording or fixes and things like that, and we're going to go ahead and err on the side of putting something out rather than err on the side of it being perfect, which wouldn't really be an error, but hey, here we are. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to give to you Aaron's story, Exit Strategy. Exit Strategy. I was 12 when I saw the door for the first time. My parents, a pair of aging, hippie academic types, moved us to Barrow Hill three weeks before the end of the school term something that would have normally been a social death sentence for a boy of my age. Despite my relatively limited time in classes, I'd managed to form a few friendships with some of the more outdoorsy kids in my grade, nothing particularly close, but it was enough that I was thought of when plans were made once summer break started up. Barrow Hill was a generic, mid-sized college town that, while not big enough for any of the more typical sources of entertainment for people of our age, was far enough north that it was surrounded on three sides by miles upon miles of dense pine forests. And thus, my small band of friends and I spent the majority of our free time adventuring in the vast labyrinth of nature around us. There were relatively few areas that were off-limits to us in our explorations. The old quarry, the burned-out husk of the old sawmill, the usual places that would offer more chances of injury than even my parents, with their more hands-off approach to parenting, were comfortable with. It didn't mean we didn't go to those places, it just meant we never told them when we did. But there was one place that was different. None of my friends really knew why, but about a mile and a half northeast of town, past the dried-out gully that used to be Scrivener's Creek, was a square mile of forest closed off by a rusting chain-link fence. Anna, whose parents had lived in Barrow Hill for their entire lives, claimed that it used to be a secret military testing site. Raj was convinced that it was there that the town elders had trapped Bigfoot. 
I thought it was more likely that there was just some old dilapidated building or a sinkhole or something similar that the rangers didn't want people hurting themselves in. And so the dare was made. The drawing of straws was enacted with all the solemnity of an ancient ritual, and I was selected to venture inside to find out which one of us was right. I wasn't an inherently courageous child, but I was desperate to maintain my place amongst my new group of friends, and so, with the aid of a pair of rusty wire cutters Jack had purloined from his father's toolbox, we cut a small hole in the fence and I squeezed my way inside. The density of the forest inside the barrier was such that I lost sight of my friends almost instantly, and while I could have just stood behind a tree, picking bark from its sides until enough time had elapsed that I could reasonably claim that there was nothing to see, curiosity pulled me deeper into the forbidden stretch of woods. As the trees grew more closely together, less and less of the late afternoon sunlight leaked through the branches overhead, and shadows seemed to pool around me. After what felt like hours, I reached a small clearing and discovered the last thing I expected to see. A door. It stood completely unsupported by any other structure, right in the center of the glade. Slowly, I moved toward this impossible thing in front of me. As I approached, I saw the door itself was relatively plain-looking painted in eggshell white with a small round brass knob set on the left side. The jam surrounding the door, while painted the same flat white, was more roughly hewn and seemed to stretch out toward the ground, like it was sending out roots. As I approached, the air grew noticeably colder and I realized that, even though there were no spreading branches above me, the sky was a bitter, wintry gray and a deep, heavy dread began to seep into my bones, making each step more difficult than the last. And yet, for some reason, I continued forward. When I was about half a dozen steps from the door itself, the whispering began. Wordless and insistent, the voices seemed to be calling me forward, urging me closer and closer. Gazing more closely at the door, I saw it wasn't actually as smooth as it appeared from the distance. Rather, it was covered in layers and layers of shallow, ragged gouges that had been painted over and then scratched and painted over again. I realized I'd been moving unconsciously closer to the door when I heard a soft snap as something cracked beneath one of my feet. Prying my eyes from the door, which was so close I could almost touch it, I looked down and saw the thing which had snapped beneath my feet was a small mouse skull. The insistent whispering filled my ears like radio static, and I looked around. Scattered all around the door were hundreds and hundreds of tiny animal bones. The whispering rose to a roar inside my head, and my eyes traveled across the field of dry, brittle bones and back up to that terrible, impossible door. I hadn't even noticed I'd moved closer. The door now looming above me, bones crunching at my feet. Abruptly, the whispering stopped, leaving in its wake a pure silence that filled my entire body with cracking ice and broken glass and sundered stone. Then, breaking that 
awful silence came three slow, deliberate knocks at the door. Whatever spell that had been cast upon me up until that moment shattered around me, and in a blind panic I turned and I ran. I ran as far and as fast and as hard as I could toward the fence, ignoring the looks and half-formed questions of my friends as I continued my mad sprint away from that terrible place, neither stopping nor looking back until I reached my front door. I didn't play in the woods very much after that, but that door, it stayed in my dreams, called to me with its insistent whispers, surrounded by its carpet of dry, cracked, and brittle bone. Once I graduated high school, I moved out and went to university out of state, but no matter how far away I was, that door followed me in my dreams. Always the door. Always the whispers. Always the bones. It's been a week since I flew back from my mother's funeral. The service was small, but she would have liked it. But it's strange being back home. Sleeping in my old room, in my old bed. Or I'm sure it would be if I could sleep. The day after the funeral, I awoke in the middle of the night, and my bedroom door was no longer there. Instead, in the place where it should have been, was a plain, eggshell white door, layers of painted over scratches covering it from top to bottom, with a dull brass knob set upon its left side. The whispering is constant now, filling my ears, my mind, and echoing in my skull. A slow, intermittent knocking, the only sound breaking through that terrible, wordless roar. I cannot sleep, for whenever I find myself dozing, I awaken standing in front of the door, my hand hovering inches away from that doorknob, seconds from grasping the cold metal to let in whatever horrible thing lays in wait on the other side of the door. So far, I've managed to pull my hand back in time, and each time I retreat to the other side of the room. But it is patient. It's been three days, and I am so very tired. Alright, that was Aaron's story, and a good one. A haunting one. I just heard it, actually. The way I'm recording this and doing it, that was me getting to hear it for the first time right along with you as I tried to edit it <laughs> to fix the the audio issues that we ran into. Anyway, I dug it. Aaron and I are going to talk more about it. I don't think it's fair to necessarily talk about my piece or his piece without us being able to ask questions. That's part of the fun of it, is getting to kind of critique and talk about what we wrote, why we wrote it, and all of that, uh, which not having him here with me means that's going to have to wait for next time. But that is something that I want to hit on. I do want there to be a next time. Parallel Words has always been the passion project for me. It's always been the podcast that's the hardest to record, requires the most work and most effort, both on the actual recording itself and the prep, writing a story between each, uh, in addition to all the audio work. But 
I love the idea of it. I love that it gets me writing. All that stuff is just fantastic, and I want to do more of it. So Aaron and I are going to try and get at least an episode out to you monthly. In the meantime, I'm going to try and find a way to get an archive of all our previous work up so that anybody who might have missed it, who thinks the idea of this podcast is cool and wants to check out what we've written before and what we've put out there, I'm going to look to see if there's a way I can make that happen for all of you as well. So until next time, for me, John Jagger, for him who could not be here, Aaron Green, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time in Parallel Words.